Good morning, Skycrest. How are you? It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, and I want to welcome our online uh, visitors who are joining us this morning by some great technology that we have. It's always pleasing to be able to use those things for God's glory. My name is Al Zwan. I'm one of the ministry leaders here. It's my privilege to fill in for Pastor Chris while he and Nikki and the family are away for a few days. So I want to thank you for that opportunity. He will be back next week. We'll be starting a new series and we'll announce that uh, very shortly. What you see on your screen appeared in July of 1969. It appeared in the front page of the Houston Chronicle or at least a picture very similar to this, as it did in many newspapers around the country. The picture was taken from the capsule that occupied Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, and Buzz Aldrin as they were headed on their way to land on the moon. It was a historic occasion, to say the least. A young boy saw this picture on the front page of the evening newspaper, and he anxiously awaited for his father to come home from work. When the dad arrived, the young boy was full of energy and excitement, and he asked his daddy to play spaceman with him. Well, the dad had a long day, and he was tired, but he didn't want to disappoint his son, he wanted to just to take a rest, so he said to his son, let's play a different game. The father took a pair of scissors and cut the newspaper picture up into many, many smaller pieces. He then gave the pieces to his son along with some tape and asked the boy to put the picture back together again. The son was happy to do so, and the father fully expected a lapse in time before the boy would return. But to his great surprise, his young son returned in just a few minutes, and he was obviously thrilled at his accomplishment. The father was shocked, and he asked his son, how was he able to do it so quickly? I'll tell you the rest of the story at the end of the message, so just bear with me for a little bit. The next picture that you're going to see is the title of the message today. And the picture that you see of the earth also provides a full perspective on this title, The Goodness and Greatness of God. That title holds a great significance for me because it's part of a note that I had written on the inside of my study Bible. The full script is this. The older I get, the more I see the goodness and greatness in the weakness of man. I believe there is much biblical and practical truth to this statement, not because I'm a biblical scholar, far from it. But the reality is, is that we live out our lives. And as we do so in living out our lives as believers, we see God's word unfold and play out before our very eyes. 
The real challenge is to observe and in to absorb his hand at work. Our study this morning is about a man in the New Testament who embodies the full meaning of this title. His name was Peter. We only have a few facts about Peter, not as many as we do as many of the other main characters in either the Old Testament or the New Testament. We don't know his exact age. We know he was married. He was a young man. He was a fisherman and had a successful business. Andrew was his brother, and Andrew was his normal routine of doing things. Andrew brought Peter to meet Jesus. As we read through the Gospels, we encounter some rather striking information about Peter. He clearly had a dominant role with the apostles. In fact, in the four, four Gospels, we see the name Jesus used 558 times. And Peter's name appears 92 times, far more than any other apostle. You will recall that Peter was asked by Jesus who he believed Jesus to be. Peter responded to Jesus that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Peter also did not want Jesus to wash his feet. Peter was the disciple who swung a big sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and cut off the ear of Malchus, the slave of the high priest. Of course, the really big thing that we know about Peter is that he denied knowing Jesus and he denied him three times. Consider that Peter was a fisherman. In biblical times, if you were a fisherman, you had to be tough. The first time I read through the Bible as a new believer, I imagine that Peter might have looked something like the cartoon character that you're going to see on the screens. And many times he was in conflict. Now, some of you recognize this and some of you don't. This is Popeye the Sailor Man and his major nemesis, Bluto, the big hulking guy who was always trying to get his way, who was always trying to gather attention, who was always blustering, and most of the time, he was wrong. Question, was Peter bold or was he a bully? Was he committed or was he a coward? Was he a leader or was he a loser? I suppose that Peter, like you and I, was a clash of many characteristics. He absolutely was bold. And yes, he was a bully. He was committed, and the fact is, he was a coward. He definitely was a leader, but I assure you, he was not a loser. Over the years in ministry, I've met with many people who, because of failures in their past, lack of worldly achievement, or some great sin that they're trying to keep secret, 
consider themselves losers. I implore you, do not go there. God loves you, sent his only son Jesus to pay for your sins and wants you to be in heaven with him for all eternity. Over time, Peter discovered the goodness and the greatness of God in the weakness of man. In short, he discovered those things in and for himself. As I learned more about Peter as I studied the Bible and dug into it a bit deeper, the persona that I had of Peter changed to where the next image you see was more representative of who Peter really was. This is an artist's rendition of Andrew bringing his brother Peter to Jesus. And uncharacteristically, Peter is not really speaking, but listening to the authoritative word of Jesus. Peter and the disciples spent over three years with Jesus. He had many opportunities to witness incredible events. As you would expect, as we do when we read these things, he marveled on occasion and he was frightened by what he saw. A dead man coming to life. The lame able to walk. A leper healed. The blind man seeing. A storm being calmed. A basket of fish and bread that never got empty. Water turned into wine. These are things that truly did happen and cannot be explained in any terms other than divine miracles. So what then, after Peter saw all these things and experienced these things firsthand, what happened to Peter after Jesus was arrested and take away? Where was this bold, later to be a giant of the faith and a leader of the church, a key leader of the church? Where was Peter to be found? He got scared. Ever been scared? I have, and probably you have too. Now, I'm not Peter's lawyer, but I'm here to plead for him, really to advocate for you and me. Peter is not normally considered a sensitive guy, but I believe he was. In Matthew's Gospel, it is recorded that after Peter denied Jesus three times and then heard the rooster crow, he went out and wept bitterly. This is not some shedding of a few tears. The word in Greek here denotes a great weeping, wailing, lamenting with external expressions of grief. 
Peter had a lot of emotional burden to be released. I can think of at least four reasons that caused Peter to plunge into a state of such devastating despair. You recall that I said that Peter was described as bold and sometimes a bully. And in fact, he was both of those things. And this means that he had a huge ego. And this ego was based on his reputation and standing with the other disciples. Reason number one. Jesus said that he would build his church on Peter. An indication of a future leadership role. Big job. Now he's a big joke. Peter said he would lay down his life for Jesus. That didn't work out either. Reason number three, shame. Remember the first two reasons? The things that were said about Peter were said and repeated in front of the other disciples. They all heard it. They heard it clearly. Sunk in. Now the shame comes. That's a big ouch. Because all those that Peter was trying to be in charge of, all of a sudden see Peter a couple of steps down. Shame is a heavy blow. It is two blocks further down the road than embarrassment. Lastly, I believe truly that Peter was deeply, deeply sorry. Peter knew he was afraid, but he couldn't help protecting himself from almost certain death. And at that moment, he came face to face with who he was. Without Jesus by his side, without Jesus on his side, he realized he was a weak and imperfect man. But let's not be too hard on Peter. We might be found to be much the same. Therefore, consider our main theme again, the goodness and greatness of God in the weakness of man. I'm counting on that, as I know you are as well. But the story is not done yet. In fact, it's just beginning. Peter would see Jesus again. And to Peter's great surprise, on the shore that day, Jesus calls him out and calls him in. Not once, but three times. Peter, do you love me? And then, tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. And finally, follow me. Shortly thereafter, we see Peter preach a powerful sermon at Pentecost. Pentecost. And we somewhat follow his ministry as the book of Acts comes alive. But Paul comes on the scene. And most of the New Testament, the focus is on Paul and his writings. As we move forward in time, 
it's nearly 30 years since the passing and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's an older man now. He's not long from his death. And God inspires him to write two letters. It is in these two books, letters, that Peter wrote, I argue his case, not as a brash, in-your-face fisherman, but as a shepherd expressing his great care for the sheep of his flock. I invite you to open your Bible or pull it up on your screen, whatever you might have, to the first book of Peter as we scope in on the words of a man who has traveled a lifetime of faith in the man he once denied. First Peter is written to the Jewish Christians who had been driven out of Jerusalem, kicked out, and he also writes this letter to believers everywhere. Peter is in Rome when he writes this. It's during the time of Nero. Nero is persecuting Christians because of their faith. It was a desperate time of terrible suffering. Peter is offering hopes in the midst of all of this, even while he himself is under the same cloud of doom. He is giving comfort and he is encouraging and urging continued loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. These are not the words of a bully. These are not the words of a coward. These are not the words of a loser. These are the words of a shepherd sharing his heartfelt concern for the flock under his care, challenging and encouraging them to continue living holy lives in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. Peter is talking to us. Words are important, especially those in the Bible. There are 5,624 words in the Greek word study dictionary of the New Testament. There are 470,000 entries in Webster's Third International Dictionary. So as we look at these words, it's not just to read them, but to truly understand their meaning. The passage we look at today contains some dynamic words which deliver a message of great import to all of us, especially in this turbulent world in which we live. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 6. The words are also going to appear on your screen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. God's recognition counts more than the praise from man. 
God will bless you according to his timing, regardless of the circumstances in which we may find ourselves. Peter learned this lesson on several occasions, and he remembered those things from his past and his present as he is sharing those in this letter. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 says that be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. Lions attack sick, young, or struggling animals. They choose their victims who are alone or not alert. This is why it's important for us to meet together in our connection groups, in our time of worship, and in our opportunities for fellowship. Peter warns us not to forget to watch for danger, especially when we try to focus on our own troubles. We get turned inward and we forget to stay alert to the things around us. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his external glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Sometimes we often feel as though our troubles, our pains, our trials will never end. When will it stop? But all of God's faithful followers are assured of eternal life in Jesus Christ where there will be no suffering. It is in this last verse, verse 10, where we will camp and dig deeper into Peter's inspired message to believers. Peter clearly understood that being a Christian is not just about what we believe, but also about the way we behave. As we look at the upcoming slides, you will notice that a specific word is highlighted, and it is these words which we will explore. In this first verse, we're going to see that the word suffered is highlighted. Peter sets this perspective to discuss suffering. It is the world that he is living and struggling in, trying to survive. But the word he uses encompasses more than just the thought of harsh discomfort of pain. It actually involves undergoing an experience that is used of good. I do realize that seems to be a dilemma. I've had three shoulder surgeries, and each time my surgeon says, this is going to be good for you, Al. You're going to benefit from this. And I keep thinking, how is that possible? But it is, and it was. Peter learned the following statement 
firsthand, shortly after he denied Christ. Every man, sooner or later, will realize he's not as strong, gifted, or capable as he thinks he is. There is a truth, a bit of a sting, in understanding your dependence on someone stronger, more capable, and in our case, the one who is sovereign over the universe, the goodness and greatness of God. It's your troubles that produce your testimony, not your prestige, power, or position in life. The next slide highlights the word grace. Grace is such an amazing word. It's such a simple word, or so it would seem. In the Greek word study dictionary of the New Testament, the word charis, which is the Greek word for grace, takes three full pages to explain. Three full pages. It's not so much the simplicity or complexity of the word, it's the application that challenges our understanding. It is a favor done without the expectation. Who does that? Probably not me some of the times. Kind of looking for a little payback maybe. Maybe you as well. So who would do that? Well, God, of course. Thus, it is the absolute free expression of loving kindness of God to men finding its motivation in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. That's a nice seminary definition, but let's shrink it down to a few words. Unearned and unmerited favor. God's grace means goodness toward those who only deserve punishment. Do you think Peter knew about grace? Do you think Peter wanted others to know about grace? Do you know about grace? You can if you will put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The next slide shows the word glory. If you think grace was tough, consider doxa, the Greek word for glory. Its definition covers four pages in the dictionary. Earlier I said the key to understanding a word usage is to delve into its application. In this verse, of course we mean giving glory to God by ascribing to him his full recognition. But what it also means in this verse is that we are called into his kingdom and into his glory. Let me say that again because that's very important for Peter and for all of us. We are called into his kingdom and into his glory. Imagine that. Peter, a one-time coward, being called into the kingdom and heavenly glory of God. But grab hold of this phenomenal concept. You and I, sinners saved by grace, are called into that same kingdom and heavenly glory with God. It took Peter a lifetime for this to settle in. Peter had to learn to stand on what was in his heart, not what was in his head. He had to be properly positioned 
for God's blessing. Don't worry, dear friends, so much about where you have been or even where you are right now. Lock into where you are going. Yes, learn from your failures, as did Peter, but keep moving forward. The Lord is not looking at your past, but at your future. Remember I said I was an advocate for Peter, but I'm also giving you God's plan for your life. Our next word is perfect. It's not perfect, it's perfect. It means to put something back into its original condition. Way back when the world began, we see in Genesis 1:27, it tells us that God created us in his image. What a divine idea. What a magnificent plan. What happened? Sin. Sin happened. Did you know that I play 18 holes of golf with Luke Weathers and a few other fellows on a regular basis? I shoot par golf every week, or at least up until the first 13 or 14 holes. But Luke keeps writing down my score after that. It's his fault that I keep turning in higher scores. It's his fault. Sound familiar? You bet it does. It's always someone else's fault. I mean, even Adam tried to hang it on Eve. But you and I, you and I know that the problem in the garden was the same as it is now. Pride. Trying to be God when you're not. Dear friends, you can't always be what you want to be, but you can be what God calls you to be. The next word is confirm. Peter wants us to know that God will help us be steadfast in mind so that we will dutifully stand firm and unwavering. When I think about the idea of confirmed and unwavering in our convictions, I think about Winston Churchill during World War II where he served as prime minister and was such a stalwart for the country and the people of England. And he did so with what I call bulldog tenacity. Peter didn't get this idea of steadfastness at first. God's plan for Peter's life, and certainly for ours, can't be rushed. God works according to his plan, his timing, his calendar, his purpose, not ours. Strengthen. The use of this word strengthening is quite interesting. Not so much for what it means, but by the fact that it's the only place in the New Testament where this word appears. Interesting why Peter chose this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When we see a word which has only been used once in the Bible, this means that we give pause. We take a moment to make sure that there's something there that we need to pay attention to or certainly that we do not want to miss. It is a verb that promises divine aid, especially in time 
of fear. Peter has learned that faith in God does not eliminate fear, it overcomes it. The last word is establish. It's the final verb that we see in this verse, and it makes clear that God will lay the foundation, the fundamentals for our lives. In laying the fundamentals for our lives, they are found in the inerrant written word of God, the Bible. He already gave us the foundation for eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. At times, you may find yourself like Peter, fishing on the wrong side of the boat. But I remind you that Jesus called Peter as a sinner. I also remind you that he calls us while we are in the same condition. Sometimes the circumstances of life just don't make sense. Life is full of hurts and disappointments, but the Lord is always working, weaving a tapestry of grace and mercy through our lives. The goodness and greatness of God. But are we listening? Are we learning? The next slide brings us back to where we began. It is the picture of the world. Remember the young boy from our beginning of the message? The one who was quickly able to put the cut up pieces of the newspaper back together again so quickly? His father asked him how he was able to do that. His reply was simple. Observe the next slide. What you see there is that the boy had turned over the newspaper and he showed his father a picture on the other side of the page. It was a picture of a man dressed in a suit. It was an advertisement by a clothing store for a suit sale. Now bring up the images side by side. He said, Dad, it was easy. When the man came together, the world came together. Pretty sound advice for you, from a young man. The last slide we'll see is just the earth, where we live. It's quite a mess. We all wish we could blame it on politics, blame it on political parties, ideologies. Maybe so, maybe not. Here's the truth that is not often well received. The problem is our sinful nature. Man cannot just come together with a little scotch tape, and therefore the world cannot so quickly come together with a child's story. There's no Humpty Dumpty story to save us. We need the greatness, the goodness, the mercy, and the love of God. As I wrap up, I do so in what I call up-close time. That's the time where I kind of summarize everything. And I use this when I have the privilege of helping Darlene when she teaches the Sky Kids. I get right up close, the kids come up close, 
we're ready to close, everybody's calm, and we put it all together in the final package for them. So where do we go from here? And how do we get there? I think Peter lived his life and he had three main things in mind. The first was this, that his eternal place in heaven, in the kingdom, with the glory of God, was secure in his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Yes, Peter denied Jesus three times, but there was more to his life than that one mistake. Number two, Peter recognized that his position in the world did not get him a better spot in heaven. Top to bottom, his goal was living for God and not pleasing man. He discovered sometimes the hard way that life is difficult. Peter recognized and accepted he was not perfect. No matter how hard he tried, he knew he needed to be blessed by the goodness and greatness of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the life of Peter. We thank you as you used an imperfect man like Peter, as many other men and women in the Bible those who wanted to do their best but the stuff of life it just, it just got in the way they failed but more importantly they got up again and got back in service to you Father Lord there may be someone here who does not realize and is not experiencing the goodness and greatness of God through their own weakness. Maybe their pride has gotten in the way. Maybe there's things in the past that they don't want to confront. But Lord, I pray that if you would be leading them through the power of your Holy Spirit to trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, that they would do so today by that simple prayer in their heart. Lord, I'm sorry. I ask your forgiveness. I admit that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I need your goodness. I need your greatness. I need your grace. If that's a prayer that you've prayed online, would you text us and let us know? If that's your prayer today, as Pastor JP spoke earlier, there's a connection card in the front pocket of the seat in front of you in your pew. We'd welcome you to fill that out, and we'd love to have a chance to meet and pray with you and show you God's Word and help you understand the plan for your life. Lord, you're a God of not second chances, but many chances. You gave Peter many chances. You give us many chances. We praise you for that. We praise you for these chances. Father, as we've heard your word, as we've seen the application of your word, Lord, would you help us 
to not only understand your word, but be so bold as to apply the truth of your word in our daily lives. For this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.